1 Timothy chapter number 4. And while you're turning there, let me mention to you that uh, several of you have asked about uh, a book table. I, did, I do have a book table tonight uh, with a lot of different things on the book table. But let me say this, uh, through our publications ministry, uh, you have an online bookstore on your homepage. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but uh, the same books you can buy over here, uh, if you buy them off of the table, I'm keeping all the money. If you buy them through your website, then you get to keep money. So, um, but I will not say who, but somebody was making fun of the congregation when we were setting up the book table and said, well, some of them can't find the internet on their typewriters. And uh, I'll not mention who it is, but probably sitting over here on the one, two, three, fourth row, maybe. Uh, but uh, I, d- I did bring some books tonight. They'll be here through Wednesday night if you'd like to look at the book table. And I'll ask you to be here. God, I appreciate you being here tonight. Be here tomorrow night. Be here uh, Wednesday night. And uh, we'll get a lot of material in. And then pray for me, if you would, every night, uh, trying to have clarity of thought of getting all of this material It's about eight or nine years worth of Bible study. I have about uh, 60 books written by emerging church um, uh, leaders, if you will, that I've I've gone through them, breaking them down. Um, I keep them in a bin because I don't want anybody to know I got them, but I I have them and gone through. I'm going to read from some tonight, uh, but it's an extensive Bible study that I want to be as concise as possible uh, to help you be armed against the tricks of the devil, but also to help all of us in reaching people with the gospel. Uh, one of the first things we have to understand is uh, we, the Bible defines terms in a certain way. A lot of times, this crowd, this emerging church crowd, uh, they use the same words, but they have different definitions to their words. And so they will respond to you and I with a similar word, we assume it means what we believe it to mean, but they have a completely different definition to that. We're going to get into a, a little bit of this tonight, but before I read the scripture in First Timothy uh, chapter number 4, I want to remind you what the emerging church is. The emerging church is founded out of rebellion against tradition, rebellion against the quote-unquote, traditional church, uh, the traditional way of doing things. Uh, They have uh, rebelled against it, they reject it. In their terms, is the emerging church has, this church has emerged above uh, the traditional church, and it comes from the deconstruction of the traditional church. Now, you and I could probably come up with a definition of the word deconstruction. Uh, But I'm going to read to you, before I even read the text tonight, as a way of reminding us of the mindset of this group of people, uh, I'm going to define for you the word deconstruction by their definition. Uh, I have a book here entitled The Language of the Emerging Church. Uh, It is compiled, co-authored by Leonard Sweet, Brian McLaren, and Jerry Hasselmeyer. These are uh, founders, if you will, uh, forefathers, if you will, of the emerging church movement. This is not an independent Baptist defining them. This is them defining themselves. 
And so I'm going to give you their definition of the word deconstruction, and then I'll be giving you some of their definitions later in the service tonight. Uh, but this is deconstruction. It is an approach to interpretation of literary texts and film and other media that begins by questioning many of the assumptions of traditional interpretation. Okay, so we're going to read this book, and we're not just going to assume the meaning we get from it is always that meaning. We're going to, we're going to deconstruct it, and this is what they mean by that. Deconstruction asks, might the author have had subconscious motivations at work that express meaning even deeper and perhaps more interesting than his or her conscious intents? Or deconstruction might ask, might the author have been expressing broader cultural ideas or emotions or conflicts that he or she wasn't even aware of and that therefore lie deeper than conscious intent and are an essential dimension of meaning of the text? That's a whole lot of words that just simply means the person who wrote the book, maybe they didn't even know it, but they had a deeper meaning that they meant to get across. And so they'll sit in a circle and they'll look at these uh, great literary classics and they'll uh, deconstruct them. And this is the interpretation that uh, has always been given. But maybe, just maybe, that author, he didn't even realize it, but he had a deeper meaning, a meaning that he wanted to get across that he didn't even realize he was going to get across. This is applied to books. It's, it's applied to films. But they apply it to Scripture. Maybe the Apostle John had a deeper meaning. He didn't even realize that he meant. Well, you and I know that the Holy Spirit moved upon men, and everything that is in the Scripture is there because God intended for it to be there. But this approach of maybe there's a different meaning, this continues in their definition of deconstruction. Traditional modern interpretation. That would be what you and I, that's our viewpoint. It's, we believe the Bible says what it says. We believe God meant what He meant. Uh, that traditional modern interpretation then is fond of finding the one true meaning in a text, while deconstructionists do not give anyone reading privileged status, but rather are interested in hearing the interplay of many interpretations that arise from within many different interpretive communities. Okay? Uh, they don't believe in one, finding the one meaning. So, uh, in other words, your pastor would get up and say, this is, I've studied this out, this is what I believe the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. Okay? That happens here on a weekly basis. All right. So that, what they say is, okay, so-and-so and so-and-so that are living in adultery, what do you think that passage means? Well, what do you think they're going to come up with? So-and-so uh, and so-and-so who is living, who is unsaved, what do you think that passage means? That is what they mean by deconstruction, is we want to get the opinion of every different group so that we accept every interpretation. We are not going to be so narrow-minded as to think that the Bible has one, one, one interpretation, one meaning. By driving the one true interpretation, for example, they disenfranchise postmodern readers for whom deconstruction is as much the mother tongue as traditional interpretation is for modern people. Will modern Christian leaders demand that deconstructionist hearers convert to their traditional mode of interpretation? 
Is such a demand an act of faithfulness to Scripture and our Christian tradition, or is it merely faithfulness to modernity? Did you get that? Because it's, it's, it's our fault that those that live in the postmodern generation are disenfranchised by the church because we demand that they line up with the one true interpretation. That is what they believe. And notice the wording here. Is such a demand an act of faithfulness to Scripture or our Christian tradition? Or is it merely faithfulness to modernity, a time period? Remember I touched on that last night? The fact that your pastor and preachers like your pastor and myself stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, this is what the Bible says. There is no other uh, opinion that really matters. Really, the, they're, they're posing the question, well, is it really, you want to really holding the Scripture or are you just holding to a period of time? That is deconstruction. And I'll answer that question. It's not that we demand that they do it, but I think God demands they do. Uh, there is one author of the Scripture, and that is God Himself. So their mindset is, we will not accept truth. Truth is relative. It's whatever we say it is. Uh, it, well, that's your opinion. There can't be just one definition. If there can't be one definition of truth, there's more than one way of salvation. We saw that last night, talking about a common salvation. Everyone here that is saved got saved the same way. Anybody who gets saved gets saved the same way. It's through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, not a postmodern man, doesn't matter what era of, of time you came from, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That seems pretty narrow. But it is rejected because that's one interpretation. This is their belief system. Simply put, they don't believe anything. They believe whatever our opinion is. Sadly, uh, there, there are many who are being affected by this. There are many who are lost people who are being told, hey, your salvation is whatever you think it ought to be, and you just come and you celebrate the Lord with us, and, and we'll have a great time, and then, and then, you're, you, then, then, then you're saved. And I'm going to show you Wednesday night how they're deceiving them into thinking they have a relationship with Christ, and they are lost as they were when they came in the doors. But they think they're saved because they're being told it's whatever you think it is. So as we go through this, you have to remember... We have terms defined by Scripture. That does not mean they may use the same terms, but they have a different definition. Tomorrow night, Lord willing, I'm going to teach on convert or Christ follower. They all the time say disciple of Christ. I'm a Christ follower. Well, we have something that comes to mind with that. Their definition is a completely different definition. And so that's what we have to keep in mind as we get into the study tonight. Look at 1 Timothy chapter number 4 uh, with me uh, in your Bibles. Well, actually, hold your spot there. I, I think I want to start in 1 John uh, this evening. So turn over to 1 John 4. Hold your place there in 1 Timothy 4, uh, because once we get done reading in 1 John 4, we're going to flip over uh, to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 John chapter number 4, and we'll begin reading with verse number 1. 
The Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. The Apostle John is speaking to the church, speaking to fellow Christians. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Let me just put some neo commentary on that. That means be suspicious of something that doesn't line up with Scripture. Be suspicious when celebrating the Lord is contrary to what this Bible says is celebrating the Lord. It says, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it is should come, and even now already is it in the world. We find in this passage of Scripture that we are admonished uh, to try the spirits. Believe not every spirit. If you look in your Bible, there is a little s. Believe not the spirit. Uh, verse number 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit, capital S, of God, the Holy Spirit of God. How many of you are saved tonight? Let me see your hand if you're saved. If you're saved, then you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. You know the Holy Spirit because He dwells within you. It is the Spirit of God that seals us unto the day of redemption. It is the Spirit of God to whom we are to give leadership uh, to uh, give Him leadership of our life. The Spirit of God. There's two spirits we find. There is the Spirit of God, and there is the Spirit of Antichrist. Now, not to get into an end time study tonight, but we know that there is a time when the Antichrist will come. This is a this is the Spirit of Antichrist, that which is against Christ. That which is in the in the Bible tells us that there are many many antichrists, many spirits of antichrist. Now the Holy Spirit of God, as I'm sure you know, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you got saved, it was the Spirit of God that put you under conviction. You know the Holy Spirit of God, you study the Holy Spirit in, in Scripture, He never draws attention to Himself. But He always points to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you know the Holy Spirit of God. So Scripture tells us that there's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of Antichrist. We are told to try them. We're told to beware of them. Now flip over to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. And we'll read verse number 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit, capital S, speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now, we are told, I read last night, that in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. There's going to be some, 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 there's a list of all kind of uh, categories of people that, quite frankly, you and I don't want to be included in that list. And we are reminded in verse number 5 of 2 Timothy chapter number 3, that there are some that have the form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They have the form of of spirituality. 
They have the form of a conversion, but they deny the, the power thereof. Now we see in 1 Timothy 4 that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. One of the sad realities as a pastor, and I'm sure as a, a Christian and a church member, is the realization that some are going to depart from the faith. Do they leave the faith because there's something wrong with the faith? Do they leave the faith because the faith all of a sudden becomes error? No, that's not why they leave the faith. They leave the faith, Scripture tells us, that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils. Now, I'm going to begin to show you tonight that the emerging church is the doctrine of devils. I'm going to show you tonight that the emerging church is a seducing spirit. And when I read to you tomorrow night what they say about our Savior, if it doesn't send a chill up and down your spine, uh, you might want to check your salvation. It is the doctrine of devils. And some who even have claim to be independent Baptists who are are, are implementing a lot of what what the emerging church has to offer, uh, they are giving heed to seducing spirits. I used to say, when people say, oh... I went to such and such a church and they always have these weird names. Even their names in themselves are humanistic because it's all about them. Oh, I went there and, 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 oh, I just, just, we just got our worship on and, and the Spirit was just so real and the Spirit was just so thick and the Spirit was just so... And I used to say, you don't know what you're talking about. But the more and more I got to thinking about it, In studying it, they did feel a spirit. When that rock band got up and the lights went down and the smoke was dispersed and they began to wave back and forth and I don't even call it singing. That, that, that music that is not Christ-honoring music, they felt a spirit. It wasn't the Spirit of God. It was a seducing spirit. They, they teach these self-help, quote-unquote, sermons. And many I've checked out because they post them online. And, and, and what's popular, I don't know if it's popular around here, but it's popular in, in our area. It seems to cycle through every couple of years. And they, they all seem to have the same series. I, I don't know how that works, but we're bringing our messages out of Hollywood movies. And we're going to give a truth. And this is what they say, a Bible truth out of a Hollywood movie. Now, the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with that. But there's a spirit that does. Well, I felt something there. You did. It was a seducing spirit. How can a Christian go in that atmosphere and say that they enjoyed it? One, they're either not a Christian. Or two, they have grieved 
and quench the Holy Spirit to the point that they can exist in that atmosphere. The Holy Spirit of God, as you know, and I've already mentioned, puts you under conviction. You trusted Christ as your Savior. In that instant, you were sealed into the day of redemption, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why when you walk into, I'm not a member here, but when I walk in here, I feel a kindred spirit. It's not the atmosphere, it's because the Holy Spirit in me bears witness in the Holy Spirit in you. The, the singers can get up and they can sing and I don't even have to know them. I don't even know have to, I have to know the song. I don't even have to know how to sing. And it, it blesses me, not my flesh, not because I got up and it made me dance. It blesses me because the Holy Spirit in them bears witness with the Holy Spirit in me. And the Holy Spirit honors our Savior through the song. That's how we feel the Spirit. When you go into one of these emerging churches, it is a spirit, but it is a different spirit. It is not a spirit that glorifies God. It is a spirit that appeals to the flesh. It is a seducing spirit. I think sometimes we as Christians, as independent Baptists, we we forget that this sometimes that this is in the Bible. We get intimidated by these other groups. Oh, we felt the spirit. Why do they have something that we don't have? Why, 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 they, why, why, why do they have something? They don't. They have a seducing spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me read a, a couple of things from these different books. This is a book I referred to last night entitled The Emerging Church by Dan Kimball. I'm going to read an excerpt from the foreword that was written by Rick Warren. He describes this generation that we're talking about, this group of people. I've never seen more people so hungry to discover and develop the spiritual dimension of their lives. That's why there is such a big interest in Eastern thought, New Age practices, mysticism, and the transcendent. Today, seekers are hungry for symbols and metaphors and experiences and stories that reveal the greatness of God. This is, okay, what kind of spirit is in Eastern thought? Seducing spirit. New Age practices, seducing spirit. Mysticisms, seducing spirit. Uh, this is what they are looking for. Now, somebody who is... is in that those Eastern religions, they are bound by seducing spirits. In order for a conversion to take place, the Spirit of God has to be involved. There has to be a conviction. There has to be a repenting, a recanting, a turning from those seducing spirits and saying, I'm going to put all my belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You cannot mix it. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but you pray for me because all this is going into a book and I'll document pages and sources in the book. But there's example after example after example that you can be a Hindu and just throw some Jesus in and you can have salvation. That is not Scripture. Uh, but that, that is the mindset that they have. Let me read from a book 
authored by Ed Stetzer, entitled Planting New Churches in the Postmodern Postmodern Age. Postmoderns are unashamedly proud of their spiritual quest. Postmoderns hold beliefs in many things, including astrology, New Age, tarot cards, psychics, ESP, channeling spirits, reincarnation, witchcraft, palm reading, UFO and aliens, Mother Earth, crystal power, and Eastern or African spirituality. And then he goes into talking about more of their mindset, and there's a spiritual search or an awakening that's taking place simply because they are looking in a spiritual world. Now, I must remind you, I must mention this before I get any further, when the emerging church uses the word spiritual, they are not referring to the Holy Spirit. They are referring to other spirits. And so when they use the word spiritual or the spirit, they're not referring to the Holy Spirit. I just, I just read you a list of things that they're into, and they're in this awakening, this spiritual awakening. What's different about this awakening, I'm quoting from the book again, page 139, is that there's very little agreement on who or what God is. Little agreement on what constitutes worship and what this outpouring means. See, I'm read well enough to be able to read history, and when there was a real great awakening, it was a move of the Holy Spirit of God, and men trusted Christ as their Savior. This is a whole different, quote-unquote, awakening. How can it be awakening if there's not even an agreement on who God is? Modern generation Christians have tended to focus on becoming like Christ. That's the old Christians. Instead, postmoderns may focus on participating in the divine nature. They want to feel something before they connect with Christ. I'll read again from this book, The Language of the Emerging Church. Again, this is their definition, their words. I'm going to read what they say about mysticism. Modern entity, it has been said, killed one ghost too many, namely the Holy Ghost. In destroying superstition, it also destroyed sacredness. Not surprisingly, the mystical dimensions of the world and soul that modernism tried to destroy are returning with a gentle vengeance. The disenchanted world is seeking radical re-enchantment. Now, I'm not even sure what all that means. But it's, it's, it's killed one ghost too many, namely the Holy Ghost, in destroying superstition. You refer in one sentence to destroying the Holy Ghost, and you come right back calling it superstition. And in all of my stacks and stacks and stacks of books on the, with the emerging church, one thing is very, very evident. They are not fond of the Holy Spirit of God. Their, their whole uh, system, if you will, is constructed minus the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, their whole way of reaching people has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you have to have an experience because the Holy Spirit is nowhere in the, to be found in the building. So you have to have an experience to appeal to the seeker so that they will come back long enough to discover Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when a Spirit-filled preacher could get up and the Holy Spirit of God could do what technology can't do, what all these other things can't do. There's the Spirit of God that can bring conviction on a lost sinner so that he might be saved. Rabbi Abraham Herschel defined God as meaning that mystery alludes to. Postmoderns are more likely to define God as mystery that meaning alludes to. They carry within them a mystical consciousness in the, their world. The inanimate becomes animate, like a Furby or Lego Mindstorms. They're comparing God to the inanimate becomes animate like a Furby. Lego mindstorms, magic and mystery and miracle are everyday occurrences through non-conceptional thinking, intuition, ascetic inclinations, spiritual enlightenment, emotions, images, through mystical enlightenment, through peak experiences and through soul journeys. They live in a spiritual world. And when you hear them say, oh, we want to go on a spiritual journey or... You're on your journey. We want to help you find your destination. When they refer to a spirit, it is not the Holy Spirit. They won't define it as seducing spirits, but they are the seducing spirits. Let me read to you very quickly their definition of spiritual spirituality. And I'm almost there. S is for spirituality. There is a gnawing, growing awareness that the solution to the world's problems does not lie in the realm of politics or economics or technology, but in the world of the spirit, little s. They do not consider the Holy Spirit of God. It, it, remember last night when I told you that the, the authority, they rejected the authority of the scriptures? It is the Holy Spirit of God that moved on men to write the Word of God. How can you reject the Scriptures as your authority and then accept the Holy Spirit? You can't. Now let me remind you, our text tonight, 1 Timothy 4, tells us that there is a, that there is a Spirit and then there's a seducing Spirit. There's a, there's a Spirit of Christ, there's the Spirit of Antichrist. The Spirit, of, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, is going to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ so they know their need of salvation. So they realize that they're a sinner. They realize that He is the only way. When they hear, whether it's a preacher preaching the gospel, or they're reading a gospel track, or a soul winner has opened the Bible and is showing them uh, down the Romans road, the Spirit of God is saying, that's right, you're a sinner, you deserve hell for your sin. Oh, that's right. Jesus died for your sins. Yep, He's telling you the truth. If you just trust Him, you'll know your sins will be forgiven and you can have an eternal home. It's the Holy Spirit of God that does that work. When you have no Spirit of God to bring about conviction, you can have no conversion. You have to have the Spirit of God. 
He has to be involved. And so when you make a, a, a club or a church, using the word loosely, where the Holy Spirit of God is not welcome, how can there be a conversion? How can somebody get saved? And again, I'll show you Wednesday night, don't miss it, on what their conversions are. So there is no conversion because the Spirit of God is not involved in it. It is a seducing spirit. You think the Spirit of God is involved in UFOs? You think the Spirit of God is involved in mysticism? You think the Spirit of God is involved... In Eastern religions, not the Holy Spirit of God. Seducing spirits, spirit of Antichrist, there's no conversion. Let me, let me read further again by their definitions. The word grace. Again, how many of you are saved tonight? Okay, the word grace means something to you, doesn't it? Amen. That unmerited favor of God. We're saved by the grace of God. Here's what they say about the word grace. But grace is only an invitation for us to participate. Without our participation in God's hospitality, the energies of the divine are unsatisfied. What's the worst you can think of? There. But for the grace of God in an accident of birth, an incident of child abuse, or one dysfunctional parent, go you and I. Thereby grace go you and I in service and ministry. No mention of grace involved in a conversion. No mention of grace in salvation. Oh, you were born into an abusive home? Well, the grace of God will get you through. Technically, that might be true, but grace is that unmerited favor of God when we deserve eternal condemnation, for by grace are you saved. It's not something that I earned. It's not something that you earned. Uh, grace is... Uh, what, what is necessary for our salvation. Not only grace, but let me uh, define what they say a lost person is. When your pastor preaches and says, we have to reach the lost, you know what that means, don't you? The unsaved. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know, you know what we're talking about, don't you? You were unsaved, you were undone, you were unregenerated, but through the applied blood of the Lord Jesus Christ... You obtain salvation. In their definition of L is for lost. Lost has become something of a technical term in recent years to refer to unsaved, unbelieving, unconverted, and otherwise non-Christian people. Okay? I just mentioned that. True and helpful phrases like lost people matter to God have popularized this image. And then they, they go on to, to define where that comes from. Luke 15, lost sheep, lost coin, lost two sons. But this is what I'm going to get to. The fact is, few people would appreciate it if they knew we referred to them as lost. Uh, meanwhile, there is reason to ask, who is really lost, them or us? Now, this ties right into, well, they might be, get upset if they're referred to as a lost person. Again, Let's not upset the apple cart. Let's not do anything to upset them, to let them know of their lost condition. Uh, I've used that terminology when I preached. You don't have Christ, you're lost without Him. You don't have a hope. You, you have no future. Uh, look, but then the question, who is lost? Them or us? Well, I'm not lost. Are you saved tonight? 
you're not lost. There's the question asked, who is really lost? Now, lost. Now, the way. When I mention the way, who do you think of? The Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The search for truth is a moral imperative. But Christian truth is a person who invites us to join him on the way. The way is now a journey by their definition. The Bible defines the way as the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? Now here, the way is when a Christian invites somebody else to join us on the way. Christianity is a way of life. The Christian life is more a journey than gelled beliefs, more pilgrimage and practices than propositions and principles. It, they define the way as a journey and not a relationship. I think back as a child, I met the way. I met the Lord Jesus Christ. The way that they are defining here, it's just a journey. Come on us with our journey as we, as we serve the Lord together uh, without a relationship with Him. Now listen very carefully. I know I'm reading a lot. I want you to pay attention to this. Way means journey. In the emerging culture, our journey is both personal and collective. No other film expresses the beauty of pilgrimage and journey better than The Wizard of Oz. Watch either the whole film or clips from it, enough to get a fresh feel for the film. Then dialogue about the following. What makes this film such an enduring favorite? How would you describe Dorothy's leadership style? How would you describe the wizard's leadership style? How can these two varying styles represent ministry leaders? I've heard some preaching on this in recent days by independent Baptists. Listen to else what they say. What changes would take place in your ministry if your team had a journey mindset instead of a destination mindset? How might evangelism change? Discipleship, how might it change? Leadership, how might it change? Worship, how might it change? What makes it hard for churches today to have a wayfaring mindset? See, it's about the journey, not about the destination. Let me tell you what's the code in there. One, they believe you can work your way to Him on the journey. It's work salvation at its simplest. But we're getting distracted as Bible-believing independent Baptists in listening to their terminology in leadership style that has nothing to do with the Spirit of God, has nothing to do with the truth of Scripture, and it's about the journey than the destination. Friend, let me tell you, all that matters when it comes down to it is your destination. Are you going to spend eternity in heaven? Are you going to spend eternity in hell? And when I, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, get to heaven... I want to have lived my journey in such a way, my life in such a way, that when I stand before my Savior, or better yet, when I kneel before my Savior, I hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, it is about the destination. You need to know your destination is secure. And it's about the destination. In fact, I want to live down here so that I'm laying up rewards over there, so that I earn some crowns over there to cast at Jesus' feet. But the journey, according to them, the way, according to them, is a journey of discovery. I feel like you're on a Disney ride. Discover. 
the journey along the way. This is their definition. Now let me read one more to you, and I'll get into the outline, and we'll be out by 1030. Holiness. Holiness, then, is wholeness. But even more, it is also wholeheartedness. The doctrine of holiness is this. If you are going to be a disciple of Jesus, be a disciple who goes all the way. God is, going, God is calling us to go the whole way with me. Uh, they define holiness as your service for God. Holiness is what you do for Him. Now, I can take their definition and stretch it and say, yeah, if you, if, you, if you live a holy life, you will do more for Him. But it is not the list of things that you do. Oh, I, I go to such and such a, such and such a, of, of, of church, and, and we, boy, the Spirit is just there, and we get our worship on, and, 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 our, and, our, and, and I don't know if it's the lead pastor, the preaching pastor, or the, or the, or the administrative pastor, or there's 75 pastors, who knows what they do, and uh, I, I'm old enough to remember when, well, anyway, uh, and, and they, I, they, the, the, the sermon was off of the chain. You could just feel the Spirit. And we are volunteering for everything. And we get, we're volunteering to do this and this and this and this. Well, they are being taught that that is their way. That is what holiness is. To just go all in. Uh, the Bible has some different definitions. Very, very quickly, because I want to illustrate something at the end. We get back to 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 1. We've... We keep in mind 1 John 4, where we are told to try the spirits. There's the spirit of Christ, there's the spirit of Antichrist. Now let me make several statements to you with all of these things that I've read to you tonight in mind, comparing it to the scripture. We're told in 1 John 4 verse 1 not to believe every spirit. I'm not to believe every spirit. But I'm the try the Spirit. That word try means to test, to discern, to prove. Uh, I'm not to just accept it because it's new. I'm supposed to be uh, uh, suspicious of it. And Christian, we have to be very, very careful to compare everything with the Scripture. I'm more concerned with what the Bible says than what I feel. Uh, we should try the Spirit. Why? Because the Scripture tells us in 1 John 4, many false prophets in this world, and they are not teaching the Word of God. They are teaching the doctrine of devils. Friend, how many truths can there be but one? How many salvations can there be? One. How many saviors can there be? Only one. How many spirits can there be? Only one true Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. There is only one way of salvation, and the Holy Spirit of God points to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are false prophets that would teach the doctrine of devils. So that's harsh. I'm quoting Scripture. God calls it the doctrine of devils. If it's not of Christ, what is it? It's Antichrist. If it's not of Him, 
It's, 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 it's not correct. It's antichrist. We're to, but not to believe every, we're to believe not every spirit. Number two, know ye the Spirit of God. There is a Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that confesseth. 1 John 4, we read this, says that. That's how we're to know when it is the Spirit of God, because it confesseth that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is is the Christ. Uh, you, 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 could, you can describe it however you want to describe it. You can defend it however you want to defend it. Uh, but when the right kind of music is sung, you think about the Lord, you think about what God has done for you, uh, there is something inside of you called the Holy Spirit of God that bears witness. Amen. These nightclub atmospheres that put the label of church on it, there is nothing spiritual or Christ-honoring about it. So it doesn't, it's not pointing to the Lord. It's appealing to the flesh. Know you the Spirit of God. Uh, third statement I'll make. Every other spirit is the spirit of Antichrist. That's why if you take the Bible and you look objectively at Scripture, there's the true church because there's a true spirit of God. There's the false church. Because there's a spirit of Antichrist. I, I've had the privilege to travel to a lot of places. And sometimes you go to these foreign countries and even large cities in our country, they have the big cathedrals. And beautiful to look at. But I would go, go in them and I can't stay in them very long. One, because it's sad. But I tell you, there's just something that vexes me. When I walk into those places that espouse a doctrine that sends people to hell. It grieves the Spirit of God in me. There's one Spirit of Christ. All others are anti-Christ. One spirit is truth, the other is error. See, you say, Pastor Joe, you're pretty dogmatic about this. You seem to be pretty dogmatic about it too. Why is it? Because our Bible teaches us that one spirit is truth and one is error. There cannot be two rights. There cannot be two truths. There is one truth, only truth, one truth, and that is the Spirit of God. The Spirit that beareth witness of our Lord is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of God is, we have to be careful not to grieve Him. Be careful not to quench Him. The Spirit of God must be involved in our conversion. Now, First uh, Timothy, I'm sorry, turn to the book of Jude. Turn to the book of Jude. One more verse of Scripture and an illustration, and I'll let you go. Well, I'll turn you over to your pastor, and he can decide if he's going to let you go. Book of Jude. We're going to look at verse number 17. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly, ungodly lust. Do we as those, we, we start this book, we used it last night. Verse number three, we reminded the common salvation, the faith. 
that's been given to us, the once delivered faith, how precious it is. Blood has been shed for the preservation of the faith. We come to the end of this chapter, this book, and we're reminded of the message that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ gave us, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Has there ever been a day where churches like your church and my church has ever been mocked in a greater way in our country? I don't know how it is in Ocala, Florida, but in Jacksonville, Florida, all of those who are of these type of churches I describe, and they love mocking our holiness. They love mocking our hymns. They love mocking our narrow way. Who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Y'all still believe that? You, you still believe a man and a woman has marriage? Now, you know what the supreme... Well, yeah, we still believe it. But watch verse 19. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. It's a very easy thing when you know the Word of God and you begin to look into the Scripture to tell when the Spirit of God is involved. Verse 19 is a very interesting verse. It's a very key verse when it comes to what we're talking about in the faith. These be they who, the mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. The Spirit of God that dwells within you, dwells within me, I am to give Him more and more leadership in my life. I am to yield to Him. I am to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If you agree with that, say amen. That's not just a command to a preacher. It's a command for the child of God. And the more of the Holy Spirit, the more the Holy Spirit gets you, of you, the more you begin to resemble the Son of God. That is a spirit Filled life. That is a spirit-led life. That is time in the Word of God where the Spirit of God bears witness with the Spirit in you and begins to teach you and instruct you. And as you yield to the Spirit of God, and as Romans chapter 12 tells us, we make ourselves a living sacrifice unto Him. The Spirit of God says, you know what, you probably shouldn't say those words anymore. You know what, you probably should cover up in the summertime. You probably, as a Christian, shouldn't go to these places, do these things. The Spirit of God, if you're in your Bible, you don't have to have your pastor tell you that. It's the Spirit of God that tells you that. That is the Spirit that we're talking about because the Spirit, before your salvation points to Jesus Christ and, and, and tells you He's the only hope you got. He's the only salvation you can have. And you, you trust Christ as your Savior. Now you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And as you submit to Him, you conform to the image of Christ. The Spirit of God, does it make you look more like this world? It makes you look less like it. But look in Scripture. These be they who separate themselves. 
sensual, having not the Spirit. I've made some statements, some strong statements, quoted some things, and I've made statements like these are the doctrines of devils. So, Pastor, I know some of these churches, they're sincere. They may be sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. They're following seducing spirits. They are believing the doctrines of devils. Say, I'm going to prove it, how easy it is to point them out from this verse of Scripture. These be they who, se- they who separate themselves sensual. Now, I just explained to you what the Spirit of God will do to you. I love, as a pastor, I, I, love, I love pastoring. I, I, love, I love preaching to my people. I love studying the Word of God. But probably one of the, the favorite things I enjoy as a pastor is watching somebody get saved, get into the house of God, and then watching the Holy Spirit clean them up. Watching the Holy Spirit change them. Or somebody who's been out in the world for a long time and they come in and, and contrary to what is said about independent Baptists, we don't give them a list that they have to live by. But you hand them a King James Bible, you get them reading the Word of God, you get them in a Sunday school class, you get them under the preaching of the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit of God that lives within them, the, the words begin to jump off of that page, and they bear witness with the Spirit of them, and they begin to change from the inside out. That's fun. I enjoy seeing that. There's a different kind of separation here. It says they separate themselves sensual. The word sensual means under the influence or pressures of gross passions and appetites. So what the scripture is saying, there is a group that separate themselves by their gross passions and appetites. Now where can you find the Holy Spirit in that definition? You can't. Now this is what... The Bible says, They who separate themselves by their sensual, by their gross passions and appetites. I'm thankful I have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in me because I'm saved, I'm sealed. But I'm also thankful as a child of God that the Spirit of God is in me to protect me from me, to convict me. I, I've got, I, you may have arrived, but I have to crucify my flesh. If I don't give in to the Spirit, I'm going to give in to the flesh. What is the flesh? Our gross appetites. Our gross passions, as described here. So there's a group who separate themselves by their gross appetites. I don't know. Maybe you've heard it like this. Come as you are. That sounds good. And as the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church, we have people every Sunday that come in and they're dressed all different ways. And, and I'm fine with that. And nobody better tell them that they got to go do this and this before they can come to church. But what I want to happen is I want them to be under the conviction of the Holy Spirit during the service. Get saved. Get born again. Now the Spirit of God dresses, uh, is inside of them. And you know what begins to happen? I might need to make some changes next time I come to church. In my years of pastoring, I have never instructed a member of my church how to, how to dress. But the Holy Spirit of God has. 
They separate ourselves sensual. There's the Spirit of God under the influence and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I often get asked about standards and separation, all these things. Now, make this statement something like this. You just do everything the Holy Spirit of God leads you to do. Everything He tells you to do. Everything He leads you to do, you make that decision and you continue to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You know, you and I aren't going to go wrong with that. As long as the Holy Spirit's leading us, He's going to lead us to be more like Him, to more like Christ. But when we allow our spirits and our appetites to separate us, uh, it's easy to see that they don't have the Spirit. Let me illustrate this very quickly and we'll be done. Pastor Bloom, can I use you? All you need to do is just stand right here. Doesn't he look sharp tonight? All right, all right. Can I use you? If you just stand right here for me. I have the world in Jesus Christ. You're the world. <laughs> and we'll let you represent Jesus Christ. Can I use you? Tell me your name again. David. David is the typical seeker. Maybe even he's a new Christian. Now that he is saved, he has the Holy Spirit of God that lives within him. Now, I made this statement in passing last night that everybody believes in separation. I'm going to prove it from, from this verse of Scripture. The Holy Spirit of God, as I describe, when He dwells within you, He begins to change the believer from the inside out. He is going to separate you from the world to Jesus Christ. Because David lived here in the world. This is where we all lived when Christ found us. He saved us. And now as he begins to grow as a Christian, the Holy Spirit, because it's important when he walks in, he, he, he meets another believer with a smile on their face, with the joy of the Lord in their heart, who spent time in the Word of God. He hears Spirit-filled music that bears witness with the Spirit that now dwells within him. And that's why as a lost person, he couldn't just get it. He felt uncomfortable. And I hopefully will get to it before the week is out. Uh, one of the strategies is we want the lost to feel comfortable in our churches. The only way to do that is to get the Holy Spirit out. I don't want the lost to feel uncomfortable because I'm unfriendly or our church is unfriendly and we're not. But when I get up to preach on salvation, I want them to be very uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit of God has complete liberty. You got saved because the Holy Spirit made you uncomfortable. So now he comes to church, and he don't know everything that song is about, but he just knows that it's speaking to him here where it didn't speak to him before. No, he's reading his Bible, and he's growing, he's going to his pastor, and he's saying, what does this mean? He says, the pastor says, that means the Christian shouldn't do that anymore. Okay, I don't understand, but I'm going to do it. And he begins to grow, and the Holy Spirit is putting him, bringing him towards Christ. 
Don't you think our churches ought to resemble Christ more than the world? Let's be honest. The New Testament church or the emerging church, which one's more like looks more like Christ? The New Testament church. The emerging church prides themselves and you don't have to change a thing. We're intimidated by that because they use that to the lost person. They use that to the weak Christian to confuse them to think that you've got to have it all together to be part of that church. They're Pharisees. Uh, they're, they're legalists. You don't have to change a thing to be part of our church. I've had some singles be told by people they work with that go to these emerging churches, hey, you've got to come over here. We can keep our we can we can drink alcohol. Hey, you could do whatever you want to do. Pastor so and so, man, he's he's one of us. And I say to that, just throw that out, and you gotta appreciate the pastor you have. Because when you have a love person on your deathbed, you don't want a dude with a Justin Bieber haircut and skinny jeans walking in that hospital room. You want a man of God who's been in his prayer closet, who is in touch with the throne of God. That's the kind of pastor you want. But what happens is this sensual separation. We now have taken it out of our homes and we've put it on the platform in our quote-unquote churches. And... We're going to do one or two things as a Christian. We're going to be more like Christ or more like the world. My gross appetites, where are they going to take me? They're going to take me here. The world, if you have the world's music, you have the world's lingo, you have the world's philosophy, you have the, you, have, you have the world's thoughts, where's the seducing spirit going to take you? You think a seducing spirit is going to take you towards Christ? Is the doctrine of a devil going to make you more like Christ or more like the world? Okay. So all you got to do is look at them. Who do they resemble more? What's, the, what's, what's Jude, verse number 19, say? Central separation. Finish it. Who has the Bible open? Having not the Spirit. I don't blame the lost person for going to churches like this. Because they feel at home. I don't blame them for going and quote unquote getting their worship on. They have not the spirit. This is why, and you don't have to line up with me here, but this is why I'll make the statement that those who pastor these churches, they don't know the spirit. They wouldn't know the spirit of God if he was standing in the street with a name tag on. They are lost preaching the doctrine of devils and damning souls to hell with that doctrine. And this is why it's important for you and I to know this because this material because this person has been deceived. And we take them at their word because they use similar words than that we use. We had good worship. He gives the word and we, a lot of times, oh, okay, but you got to understand, all you got to do is look. 
gross appetite separated. You know, you can't ever appeal to the flesh. You can't ever please the flesh. It wants more and more and more and more. So where this is here today, it's going to be way over there in a generation from now. That's why it creeps into the contemporary church, and the contemporary church creeps into the independent Baptist church, and we're letting some of these things in. You think it's going to stop with your contemporary songs? You watch it. I could name you ministries, high-profile ministries. They changed their music. They changed their separation, and their soul winning, and the King James Bible is coming right behind it. Because it's their gross appetites that's separating them. Now, as the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life, it's going to separate us. Now, this is what your pastor believes. I'm certain of it and what he teaches you. This is certainly the way that I pastor my church. I spend less time. Now, I do warn about the world. But I want to help people become close to Christ. And the closer David gets to Christ, the further he gets away from the world. Where's he going to be spiritually? If he comes to worship on Saturday night, worship on Sunday morning, and it resembles that. This is the tragedy. Look how far away from Christ. Don't tell me Christ is like the world. Don't tell me, and I'm going to teach on it tomorrow night, as they do, that he's, I don't even want to say, I'm not even going to say it until I have to. He's the, Jesus Christ is the perfect Son of God. He is deity. He is my Savior. He, if it, we would be hopeless without Him. He is the conqueror of, our, uh, of death and hell. He's my sin sacrifice. He is holy. The day is going to come. We enter His presence, and all we're going to do for eternity is chant, Holy, holy, holy. Crack open the book of Revelation and tell me how that Son of God that is on those pages fits in this. He doesn't. Here's the tragedy. So I mentioned last night as we were closing, I did this in my church. I had everybody raise their hand who had a relative, or a co-worker, or a neighbor, and they knew somebody that has got caught up in this emerging church mess. All across our building, hands went up. There are some who grew up in our church who went to Bible college who know better who are now in this. They can't tell you the Holy Spirit led them there. Because the book of Jude would be wrong then. It's their sensual separation. It's their gross appetites. It's their flesh having not the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is leading you. He's going to lead you closer and closer. Isn't that the wonderful thing about separation? Don't get it confused. It's, not, it's more about who you're being separated to than what you're being separated from. Every day, just get up and say, I want to spend some time with my Savior. Every day I want to honor Him. I want to become more like Him. And before you know it, you'll be standing all the way over here and you'll say, look how far away I've come. Look at, look, look at what I left behind. But you start changing 
your church, you start changing your appetites. It's going to pull you towards this. Look how far away. There's the Spirit of Christ. At one extreme, there's the Spirit of Antichrist at the other. I love it. I was here Sunday night, here tonight. When I walk in, I feel a kindred spirit. Why is that? It's because the Spirit of God in me bears witness with the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of God in this church. But they feel a spirit too. But it's a seducing spirit. Be grounded in the Word of God or you can be seduced too. Where's that child of God going to go? That's why you win somebody to Christ, do your best to get them in church. Get them in church so they're not snatched up by one of these cults. Because there's a seducing spirit. We also read in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith. Sadly, and I'm getting, I'm just, I'm just talking now. There's a lot up here, but this, I think this will help you. There's a lot who grew up in our church. There's a lot who grew up in a church like this, and now they're over there. The Holy Spirit didn't leave them there. They, they never, they never went to the bar when they were a member of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. They never went to the bar when they were in our Christian school. Not until they were over here. And they're in the bar on Saturday night and they're worshiping on Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit didn't leave them out of a Bible preaching church to that. A seducing spirit. They departed from the faith. Hold to that faith, the common salvation. How do you know where the Spirit of God is? Are you going to be closer to Christ? Or are you going to be closer to the world? If you did not even like your pastor, he has a wonderful wife, so you could put up with him. If, if he's preaching the truth, let me tell you where it ought to be. Sunday morning, Sunday night, special services, every, he's preaching the truth. Because that's what matters. Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Antichrist. Thank you, gentlemen.